Hey everybody, and welcome back to Beer Bubbles, the number one bubbliest podcast in the world. Me and my wife recently got back from our vacation to Nice, France. But me, being the dumb beer geek that I am, I couldn't go an entire week without doing something beer-related. So after researching breweries, I stumbled upon Blue Coast Brewing Company, who happens to have a head brewer whose name is Robert Bush. This episode will be in two segments. We did a short interview at the brewery, and then a few days later, we met up for a pint and recorded a bit more. I do hope you'll enjoy our chit-chat, but before we get started, don't forget to check out our Patreon, social medias, leave a like, comment, all that good stuff. Enjoy. Hello and welcome back to Beer Bubbles. Uh, I'm sitting in Nice, France. Completely random, but <laughs> I'm here at Blue Coast Brewing Company with Robert. Yes, correcto mundo. <laughs> That's me. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and how, uh, who you are and how you ended up here in Blue Coast Brewing Company? Uh, I've been brewing beer since a uh, very long time. As a home brewer in the beginning, uh, in 94, I think I started. And then uh, I won the national championships in home brewing in 96. And after this, I was hired by Terno, uh, which became Nils Oskar. And then uh, from there to uh, Grebestad Bryggeri for several years. Then I went to Bangkok for a while to do something else, audio engineering. And then uh, back when I was back on holiday in Sweden, um, I worked for a while at Eskilstuna Ölkultur. And Eskilstuna is my hometown, so that's where I come from. And then uh, I got a message from a guy in Sweden, um, Pelle Strid, and he asked me if I was interested in a brewing project in Nice, France, where we are now. And it sounded very interesting because I was already on my way to London, but uh, Brexit happened, so I couldn't uh, work there easily. Uh, and uh, apparently the guys from Blue Coast, have they contacted uh, Pelle uh, and asked him to find a brewer. So that's how I ended up here. So I started here in 2017 in February with uh, an empty space of 800 square meters. Uh, we bought a five hectoliter brew house with uh, six fermenters, uh, three tens and three fives. And then uh, a year later, we upgraded to 25 hectoliters and several more fermenters. We have uh, 25 hectoliter, 50 hectoliter fermenters and 75. And now I'm brewing on a almost fully automated system. It's uh, You have to do some confirmations of, of some things but I can control it from an app also from home so I can start at 4 in the morning and uh, have my morning coffee and then come here at 7 and uh, half of the mash is done already and um, then I can boil the, f the first batch and then mash in the second one while the first one is in the whirlpool and then um, well is that's it, uh, it still manual cleaning or is it automatic as well? No, no, that's automatic. So I, automatic. I, I have a CIP program that I can start and it's, uh, it takes about four hours. Uh, 
I don't do it after each brew, of course, but uh, every five, six brews, maybe. Um, but the tanks is uh, is manual. The okay. the cleaning of the tanks yeah. that's manual. Yeah, uh, you, the beer styles you focus on are mostly pale ales, lagers, uh, wheat beers. Yes, or, yeah? uh, let's try. I took two random beers from the fridge here. We have this is one of the latest ones. We have um, uh, some of our owners are Formula One drivers. Uh, we have Daniel Ricciardo, David Coulthard, and Jenson Button. And uh, now they all have their own beers. It started with Daniel Ricardo's. I made a, a lager for him. Uh, and then Jensen, uh, he wanted one too. So uh, I made a session IPA for that. And then uh, only like two, three months ago, this pale ale for David Coulthard. Mm. Which is very light. This is only very three, three percent. Very so crisp and light. Yeah, but yep. also kind of malty as well. Yes, and this is one of the few uh, beers that I don't use USO5 yeast. Most of the beers uh, I make, I use USO5, the fermentis uh, yeast. Um, of course, in the lager, I have the lager yeast. Uh, uh, but this one is uh, English ale yeast and also English hops, English malt. So. When I tried this from the fermenter, uh, before I cold crashed it, it was like fi 15 degrees or something. Uh, and it wasn't uh, very carbonated. So when I tried it from the tank, I was like, oh, wow, this takes me back to, uh, to a pub in London. Because it was, it was uh, warm, British room temperature, 15 degrees. <laughs> uh, and uh, also low in CO2. So... But also in the sense that it doesn't have the that you know super bitter hoppiness. No, exactly. It's with not American uh, style more than no. the British more on the sweeter side, so to speak. The yeah, malt, yeah. malt sweetness. And this uh, Napa people usually like their Napas hazy, or at least some of the people. Uh, this one isn't that hazy. It's uh, yeah. So it's uh, an IPA, but with less bitterness and. Uh, uh, a lot more uh, dry hop. I use a hop gun, and uh, for a for a 50 hectoliter batch, that's two 25s. I have to brew it twice. Uh, I use 40 kilos of hops in the hop gun and circulate it for maybe eight hours, a full day, uh, to extract as much as possible. Both are very perfect for this weather as well. It's mm -hmm. <laughs> easy drink and oh, uh, yeah, yeah. goes goes down good, really good. easy. Yeah. How is uh, the difference between you know working and brewing in Sweden and working here now in in East France mm. uh, with the with the craft beer scene and everything? Um, I don't know if I can say this, <laughs> but uh, I think Swedes work harder. It's uh, it's not so many coffee breaks and uh, not so much talking in Sweden. I come here, I start working, and I, I work until the job is done, and then I go home. I don't hang around so much and, and talk to uh, to other people of the staff. But also, it, it also depends what, what kind of brewery you work in. If you have uh, home brewers... Uh, that started the brewery. It's it's a totally different thing because everyone is interested in beer and uh, talk beer constantly. And uh, whereas if you work in a company where you have uh, only a few people are interested in beer and uh, 
yeah. So yeah, it's a big difference depending on what what company you're in. But uh, in general, I think since I came here in 2017, I think it was like two or three breweries around. Um, since I came here, in the beginning, I had to take down the bitterness in the IPA because it was too bitter for for the French market. Um, and uh, now I think it's more accepted. Now people people want IPA more and more. Has the craft beer scene come slower here, you think? Oh, yes, yes. It's like 10 years behind, I think. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, I've been around to a few stores now and, and looking and... I mean, you have the regular Leffe and, the, and some Greenberg yeah, yeah. and Heineken, yeah. but there's not not a lot of craft beers no. in most stores. You have some some specialty shops uh, around this so, uh, that imports. I've seen Oppigorge, I've seen some oh. other Swedish uh, um, Swedish beers as well. Um, yeah, no, but but it's coming slowly, so. And also, it's a small market for the the beer geek market. I mean, you you have to sell in in supermarkets too to create volumes. Uh, and the beer geeks are unfaithful. They just drink they drink <laughs> your beer once, and then they go <laughs> to the next brewery and try something. So you have to make something new all the time. Yeah, the, what we call them the the clickers on top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just want to to click the next beer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, we had a lot of. Uh, those customers who come in and they try eight or nine different IPAs in one night and they oh come yeah. up to the bar again and like, oh, what else do you have? Oh like, yeah. Jesus Christ. What, did you like some of them? Yes, drink one more. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. that's how yeah. you do it. Like, if you like a beer, keep drinking it. It's yeah. it's not that difficult. I'm like that with wine. I uh, I seldom drink the same wine twice. I try to tick off new appellations and... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially now when I'm close to Italy too. I go to Italy and with my Dramaten... Uh, <laughs> And I fill it up with wine and uh, always try something new. So yeah, but we are in wine country, and uh, oh wine yeah. country is all around yeah. us. Uh, and prob- that's probably why the beer scene hasn't exploded yeah. in, in the craft scene as much uh, because of that. Yeah. Because people drink wine mostly, I guess. Yes. And to to France's defense, I I think also I should mention that it's it's different regions are more developed when it comes to beer. Closer to Paris, Lille, and uh, northern France, they are much, much more into uh, uh, Lyon, Montpellier. These places, they are much more into uh, craft beer. So it's coming here too, but slowly. Um, because this has been traditionally a rosé wine uh, region. In in April, <coughs> they fill up the shelves in the supermarkets. And you, it's uh, like meters with, uh, with uh, rosé wine. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Oh, that's nice. Uh, do you have uh, do you have a bar here as well? People come yes. in and visit. I, yep. I'll see it right now. So <laughs> yes, we have a tap room and we have uh, we're open every day from twelve, so you can come and have a a pint or two, and then we run uh, several ev- events. We have uh, beer pong sometimes and uh, beer and yoga and stuff and football matches. We show on on a big screen. Uh, so when when something is happening, it's uh, we try to uh, to cover it. Well, that's nice. And is there any future plans for the brewery? We talked a little bit earlier about the you know getting a storage area and, and yes. stuff like that. Yeah, we lack space definitely because it's uh, it's difficult to to find. Uh, uh, 
yeah, buildings here to to uh, store your your uh, finished products. And oh, we have a cold room, so we, we store most of it there. But uh, cardboard boxes, and empty kegs, and stuff like this, it takes space. So we should definitely uh, find something uh, yeah. in the future. Definitely. Well, it it seems to be like. A I don't know if it, if it is that is the case, but a little bit more industrial part of. Oh of yes, nice definitely. Here. This building that you can see over here, it, it was nothing here before. Oh, it was. It was an old shack, totally worn down. So they, they just built this, finished this like a month ago. Okay. So they put this olive tree there yesterday. Um, so it's going to be a lot more people working here, and hopefully they come to our tap oh, yeah. room. Uh, the, the area is ex- expanding a little bit. Yes. Oh, and nice. uh, when I came here in 2017, there was only one tram line, line one. And they already started the building of line two, which goes to uh, to the airport. And then in the morning, I can take that one to uh, Grand Arenas is the name of the, where I changed to number line three, which they also built uh, two years ago. So now I can go by tram all the way to um, Saint Isidro, where we are now, um, and then I have to walk the last bit. Oh, what is it like a kilometer? Oh yeah, yeah something, something like, like this. Yeah, so yeah. The <laughs> going here by car was was a bit interesting. Oh, <laughs> with yeah. All the the turns and and yeah. going up the up and down the mountain. Yeah. To get here, it's nice. Uh, I have a, one of the first thing I bought uh, was a Vespa. So I have oh a Vespa. Yeah. I, I use this. Uh, uh, come to the brewery when I don't take the tram. It's nice to sit on the tram to listen to music also to, uh, on my iPod. And, yeah, uh, yeah, those scooters are everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems dangerous. <laughs> they yeah. drive like crazy <laughs> here in, in the city. They they don't, they don't hesitate to, to put the gas up. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to keep this interview short. It's just nice to come visit and see yep. the brewery and meet a fellow Swede here in Nice. Yes. Uh, though I'm there's glad a l- you came. A lot of Swedes in here. Yes, actually, it's uh, one of the founders. It's also Swedish, Swedish-Italian. Um, and uh, yeah, some of the board members have uh, uh, Swedish connections too. Um, so, yeah. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm going to end it with the question we always ask, which is actually the hardest question you're going to get. And that is... I- My favorite beer. <laughs> you're going to die right <laughs> now. What's no? the last beer you're having? Uh, okay. Yeah, that's a hard one. <laughs> I I can easily answer uh, if I had to drink only one beer, not one brand, but one type of beer for the rest of my life. If I if I was on a desert island or something, it would definitely definitely be a German Pils. Uh, but as uh, the last beer, I don't know. Um, maybe. Uh, Rodenbach. Rodenbach, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's a good choice. That's nice. Some yeah. vintage or Alexander or... Yeah, no, the, or <laughs> uh, the regular one. Alexander is nice Alexander, too, but yeah. the... Uh, or the one you have on your hat. Oh, Schlenkerla. Yeah. Oh, that is, that yeah. is good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I make a... Um, a Chipotle beer too. And it's Chipotle uh, beer? Yeah, yeah, you can try it after... Uh, and the the amount of chipotle in this is not enough to get the smokiness, so I also add some smoked malt. So oh. it's uh, it's smoky and very very little. You can feel the chilies in your 
in your throat, but not. I also had to keep this down because this is not Chile land. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> spicy food here is not so common. So no, it's a lot of seafood and and, and like I <laughs> like I told you before, I grow chilies on my balcony, so oh I yeah. have uh, like thirty five different varieties and on a ten square meter balcony. So you so like chili? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like chili a lot, and I I used it in this beer too. So. You know, Awesome. Well, thank you very much for, for having me. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. And uh, cheers. Cheers. <laughs> All right. Part two with Robert from Blue Coast Brewing Company. Yes. Uh, hello. Since I'm here in Nice for quite a while, I, I, I thought that why not do, do another one? Yes. Uh, so we'll, we're sitting at Wayne's. Yes, Wayne's Bar in uh, Old Town of Nice. This is a British, uh, British-speaking or no, English-speaking pub. Um, so I usually come here to watch football Saturdays. Nice. So not Wayne's Coffee for those of you who are in Sweden listening. No, so. exactly. <laughs> no. And drinking uh, Pelfort, I think it was called, right? Yep. Yeah. So nice lager. Uh, so I want to go back to more history about you uh, and your beginnings in, in the brew world so how did it come you started to brew beer in the beginning hmm i don't know what i told you last time i, I have to make sure i'm saying the same thing now so Doesn't i'm not matter. lying because uh, <laughs> no i'm joking no it started by uh, me seeing uh, some guy one uh, oh it was uh Palle, um, Patrick. He won the uh, home brewing competition, the Svenska Hembryggerföreningens uh, yeah, SM. 93, I think it was. So in 94, I tried to brew something, uh, something else than the regular extract brews that I had tried already. I, I brewed a lot of kits. Um, and I, then I tried to make something real with the yeah, all grain. Uh, and then I sent this to the competition in 95. Uh, it was in Stockholm. And it was a plain pills, it was called. Uh, regular German pills. And I won the gold medal in the uh, lager um, <laughs> your section. Your first try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the year after it was the, the scooter bitter. Uh, I bought uh, a Vespa the same week, so I called it uh, Scooter Bitter uh, when I brewed it. And uh, it was a regular uh, bitter, like a very, very low carbonation and uh, British hops, British malts and British yeast. Tasted just like uh, when you're in a pub in, in England. And uh, and this one won the best in show, or the Årets Hembryggare, or... In '96, in Hultsfred. That that's a difficult style to make, though. I I I feel like from the perspective of, of me as a as a consumer, uh, I've had a lot of different kinds of bitters. But when it's not from England, not not all of them are no, you know, up no, to no, the, no, to no, the, the no, top. No, I can agree. It's uh, and I think it has to do with the the fact that it's transported. Uh, it, it has to be very fresh. Uh, real ale is one thing. When you get real yeah. ale, it's uh, it's 
very difficult outside England, I think, or no, not England, but UK. And um, I mean, we we do have a relay that uh, Akurat. Uh, yeah. We we work with that quite a lot, and we have the cask mark uh, as well. Yeah. So we are we take care of our cask very much, and you also have some some breweries in Sweden that can really make cask nowadays. Uh, sadly, one of the absolute best retired recently, Bengt from Rebu. Uh, uh, so that's very sad <laughs> still. <laughs> I still have people asking for his, his beers and you're like, no, <laughs> he's retired. Uh, but yeah, it, it's starting to, to become a little bit more popular with breweries making their own cost scales. But, um, but with the, when they do bitters just on, on keg or, or an ESB, for example, it's still not there yet for, for most uh, breweries, I feel. Some do it fantastic. I mean, it's like uh, Uppsala Bruggius. They have their Surf Fagalot. Yeah. It's a British bitter. Well, Connor is Irish, so <laughs> of yeah, course it's yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, but is it? Is there something about brewing that type of beer that is you need you need to do the the English hops and or is it? I think so because I I just recently I don't know if you oh yeah it's one of the beers that you tried at the brewery. It was bottled when you tried it, but uh, I think I told you that uh, because I brewed now for. In the company I work for, Blue Coast, uh, we have three Formula One owners or uh, uh, owners that uh, shareholders. That uh, one of them uh, is has retired recently, Daniel Ricardo. I made a beer for him, a lager, and then Jenson Button. He's not driving Formula One anymore, but he's uh, I think he's doing Formula Two or Three or something. Um, and so I made a beer for him, a session IPA. And then recently, David Coulthard, also a retired driver. Uh, and that the last one, the Coulthard beer, uh, was, uh, was I used uh, British hops, British yeast, British, British malt. And when I tried it from the tank, when it was 15 degrees, uh, and low carbonation. The, uh, it has. Uh, it was way before it was finished. Uh, so at that stage, it was very, very close to what you get in in England or uh, in a pub in uh, yeah. yeah UK. But, well, getting your beer gravity pulled. Yes, that's it's a t- totally different beer. Yeah, yeah. To when you bottle it, because you know, with the carbon oxide going in and, and exactly, all, all yeah. And it's we delicious. don't want it too bubbly. No. And also the, the low alcohol is... Uh, I remember when I was little, I always imagined all the beers outside Sweden being very, very strong. I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to go to England and drink strong beer. But then I realized it's the other <laughs> way around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like 3, 3.2, 3.5, 3.8. And uh, so this this one I brewed for Kultard is... Um, uh, I think it's three, but the r- real alcohol is 3.2. Or it says three on the label. Well, it's a, 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 I've been to Scotland only, uh, Sally. I need to go to the islands a bit more, but going around drinking car scales the entire day is is, is a yeah. trip itself. Because yeah, absolutely. you can drink so much <laughs> because yeah. there's no alcohol, basically. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there has been some cases where we have car scales that are up to 8-9%. Um, for example, the... Valsviken Winterporter from, mm-hmm. from Ninas, I think it was, yeah, on cask. We had it vintaged one year, so it, we saved it for one year and opened it, apparently. Okay. Amazing. And then uh, the Black Golding from Nerke Kulturbryggeri on cask is also amazing, and that's on 7 or 8%, I think. Mm-hmm. 
it's super dangerous because it's so easy, like quenchable, oh, yeah. but strong. So it, it, they are quite dangerous. Now you began in the in the home brewing scene before yes. you started brewing commercial, but you're also a beer judge. Yes, uh, I think I took the exam in '97, uh, and it, uh, it was uh, again Parle, Patrick, uh, me and him. We took the exam at the same time uh, in uh, Jessica Heydrich and Peter Högström's home, if, if I remember correctly. I think it was that. And uh, after this, yeah, I judged uh, a few competitions in Sweden, but uh, now it's... Uh, because I haven't lived in Sweden for so long, so now it's been... Uh, uh, every year here in Nice, they have a, a home brewing competition, and one year also, um, Brewdog had their home brewing competition. But it's it's very basic. It's uh, I told you before I came with the beer judge certificate program, uh, the, uh, the the paper, the judge sheet, the score sheet, and uh, no one wanted to use it. <laughs> I was too serious. <laughs> Was it good, bad, or tropical? Uh, or is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, this beer is good. This beer is bad. <laughs> no, it was... And uh, the, first, the first time, I think we had uh, 11 beers, beers to judge. And uh, two, three of them were really good. Uh, highly hopped and um, yeah, unusual for this region at that time. This was six years ago. And now it's uh, it's better and better. So the last competition I judged was um, I was surprised. It was many good beers, uh, sours and uh, yeah, very tropical uh, IPAs and um, clean above all. Before it was very a lot of funky flavors and uh, aromas. So well, how has that uh, knowledge of beer judging uh, mirrored? Until brewing, or has have it had an effect on what type of beers you make, or or the, pro the you mean for me? Yeah, for oh you. yes, yes, um, because I'm very um, I'm very strict when I when I create a new recipe for for Blue Coast. Uh, I always try to follow the the beer judge certificate program uh, standards and stay within the specifications. But uh, in real time or in, in reality, when I brew it, it's a, it's a different thing because uh, you have to adapt to the market and maybe sometimes I, uh, I'm thinking, like, okay, I'm brewing this and this. It depends on what, what the sales guys want, basically. So you have to be... Maybe they don't want it as strong in alcohol, but... The rest is within the style, so <coughs> I try to follow it, but um, it's not always possible. Well, one thing that I noticed, and we talked a little bit about this when I was up at the brewery, is the the French down here don't want it as bitter. Yeah. Uh, and yesterday I tried, I think it was two or three I different IPAs, which were supposed to be West Coast style, high bitterness. They were West Coast style more on the tropical side, but not as bitter. So I even had a triple IPA at 9.7%. Yeah. But the bitterness was so low. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, 
I'm not used no. to that. Like, if I get a triple West Coast IPA, I, I expect like oh, yeah, the yeah, highest yeah. of bitterness. Exactly, you expect the bitterness to to stay in your mouth for an yeah. hour after. Yeah, but exactly. no, no, it's, that's not the case here. It's uh, I've had many experiences this. But, um, you you see, oh, double IPA or triple IPA, and you expect like a hundred uh, IBU or something, yeah. and then, then uh, <laughs> it's like. 40 or 30 or yeah. uh, and it's just okay this is a fruity like what the hell like yep. a, a fruity yep. west coast ipa still has that still had it the the dryness and, and all the flavors you want but but not the bitterness like the bitterness is missing yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I feel like but yeah. I'm, I'm i'm swedish so uh, and i live in sweden so i think yes. a lot of a lot of ipas uh, in in that sense with the west coast with, with the bitterness yeah so. you just want more and more you you <laughs> adapt <laughs> easily did yeah. the, the is there like has it, has it become a new favorite for you to drink those kinds of beer? Or do you still enjoy the the bitter types of IPAs? Mm. No, I I like so many things. It's it depends on the uh, on the occasion uh, when I want to drink something. It's uh, I usually don't drink uh, as an everyday beers. It's uh, it's mostly uh, okay. It's easy for me to uh, to access our beers, the ones that I make, of course. So. Uh, with food, it's uh, or just uh, to, to sit on the balcony and have a beer. It's it can be anything, but with food, uh, I usually take the blonde or a wheat beer or something more basic. Now, speaking of the 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 beer styles you drink and and sitting on your balcony enjoying the, the your evening with a with a beer, you're also quite a I, w- I wouldn't say. I would say it. wine nerd. <laughs> you love wine. Yes, I'm a wino. <laughs> You're a wino. <laughs> uh, um, yes, because oh, I told you this story already off uh, off microphone before. But uh, in 2000, 2001, sometime around that, uh, I was approached by a, a guy in Göteborg. Uh, he wanted me to do the beer. Uh, part of his sommelier, he was a teacher uh, so he was uh, teaching uh, uh, becoming sommeliers and uh, he didn't know anything about beer so I said okay I'll I'll do the beer part uh, but I want to take the course instead of him paying me so it was 10 weeks at Ronums Herrgård Varjön outside um, Vännersborg and uh, every weekend it was a different uh, topic and uh, different wines. Uh, one week was uh, whiskey, another one was uh, coffee, cigars and stuff like this. You need to know as a sommelier. And beer. So I ran the beer part. And then the second semester it was in Göteborg, uh, in Gymnasiet. Uh, so I took the course the, for the second part too, and this was uh, uh, WSCT, the, the same one you took. Uh, and then during, so this was a long time ago, 2000, 2001. And then during uh, lockdown, uh, I was at home for three months. We were allowed to go out one hour per day to go to the shop or... Uh, and um, my girlfriend, uh, she took the, the first uh, wine course, the, the same one I took uh, like way back. But o- online. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah. 
and then uh, and this was Grithyttan and then I'm like okay I want to go for level 3 to uh, Grithyttan um, so I took that one too and I passed um, with distinction <laughs> important and <laughs> <laughs> uh, so after this, uh, all my notes, uh, I also told you I wrote a, a Bangkok guide because I had a lot of notes from different parts in yeah, Bangkok. Yeah, I was going to go into the, the, the author yeah, part version. And it, it was <laughs> the same with the, with the wine. I had millions of notes uh, because every time I try something, put two olive oils in front of me and I will judge them and uh, try them uh, against each other and uh, or whatever you want to try is... Uh, in Bangkok, they have many seasons with uh, different mangoes growing during the seasons. Um, I tried uh, all of these and compared, took notes. The energy drinks like Red Bull, they make a lot of this in, in Thailand. So I, I tried like 16 different brands at the same time, compared them, ranked them, of course. That's uh, some kind of... Uh, thing I have I must rank it and put it in a database and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're writing a wine book right now exactly yeah uh, it took a long time because uh, I started way back and uh, since I came here of course in France uh, new regions new appellations and even though I don't go around in 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 France as much but I, I still find because every Oh, twice a year there is a big wine fair in the neighboring uh, village here, Kang Sur Mer. Was that the one you told me about? Yeah, yeah. Oh. And this is great. You can go there and try all the wines uh, from from all over France and some some uh, wine from other countries too. But it's not very common because in France they sell French wine. So the shelves in the wine shops or in the supermarkets they have a uh, one section maybe half a meter um, wide uh, with beer from other countries but that's like one from California Gallo or something uh, um, but I'm also close to Italy here so I go to Italy with my Dramaten uh, <laughs> pensioner <laughs> bag <laughs> on wheels and I fill it up with Italian wine so I discovered a lot of small uh, uh, Italian appellations as well so the book is a never-ending thing. Now, I'm going to put the deadline uh, on it now again. And then uh, I'll make a second edition or something. And this is not something I, I make as, uh, f for, uh, for other people. It's, it's for myself because uh, I call it the Robert Schwinn book. Because I want a place where I can go back and see what I've tried, what regions I like. And, and maybe someone else can use it too because it's... Uh, I'm also very, uh, I try to find Fyndvin. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, but th that's the, the, thing. the price ratio. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. I love Bourgogne or I love Champagne, but it's... Uh, that, that's the thing when you, when you started to become a sommelier, it's not about the most expensive wines. Exactly. It's about getting the knowledge to find the quality, yep. no matter the price range. Exactly. When you find quality, it's fucking quality. Yeah, doesn't have to do anything with the price range. You know, oh, the most expensive wine is the best. No, no, not at all. <laughs> like no, you can find a wine for five euro that is fucking fantastic. Yeah, like and I see some uh, uh, wine writers, 
they are afraid to to give high points to to cheap wine, which yeah. is bullshit. It's bullshit. I mean. Yeah. Uh, you can find a, a wine for five euros and it's uh, fantastic. Exactly, it could be yeah. Vino d'Italia or uh, not even an appellation. And it's uh, because it's not well known and uh, like champagne, a lot of champagne is shit, but uh, it's, uh, they have the name so they can take a lot of money for this. Uh, so, sorry, CC, but I'm not the only one who has this opinion. So <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna to argue about this when I come back to Sweden. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> As I told you the, the yeah, other yeah. day that we had this argument, me and Cece, that I feel like Cremant is often Absolutely, much better than, yeah. than Champagne. And yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're, I know we're a beer podcast, we're going to a little bit about the wine, but it's because of the... I feel you are a man of many trades. Like you, have, you, you brew the beer, but you also write the books, and you have this big interest in, in flavors. And so it's fun to talk about. I actually got one of his books, which is not about drinks, but it's going to be fun to read. Yeah, uh, short stories. Short stories, yeah. It's going to be really fun to read. Uh, is there any plans to do a beer book? Mm, not really. I think that would be more demanding, uh, less demanding, um, because... Uh, I want to learn something from from uh, learning during during the process. Uh, so, because I learn something when I write, I have to look up things. And uh, if I write a beer book, I would just write from my head, and uh, maybe I make mistakes because I I think I remember this and. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very odd with the with the when I do brewery tours or, or uh, tastings or whatever, I can have a question that I I didn't know that I was able to answer. They ask me something and I I answer and then I'm thinking, how the fuck did I know this? But it's somewhere in my head. Uh, I've read it somewhere way back. Um, no, I, I want the challenge too, and I don't want when when I write the the wine book, I'm not like. Uh, copying Wikipedia or anything. It's not like that. But I want to double check everything. And it can take uh, an hour if I find a new gra- grape uh, in, a, in a special wine. And I, I read about this grape. I want to read about the soil where it's, uh, uh, where it's growing best. And uh, yeah, so you get more. I learn more <laughs> from this. Yeah, but it's. Like we talked about the other day, the the terroir, and it, it applies as much as to grape, but it does to hops. It's different ah, yes, wherever yes. it's grown, and uh, yeah, definitely. We talk about the difference between being able to do anything and like doing the bio, and it's yeah, it's quite different because you can't get some hops, and the hops you get yeah. might be grown somewhere else, so it changes the recipe completely. Yes, uh, w- uh, Blue Coast, where I work. Uh, turned it, uh, in France it's called bio eco in Swedish uh, organic so all the beers I make now are organic and uh, I had like uh, let's say 250 different uh, hop varieties to choose from and when I had to go bio I have 25 maybe because it's uh, not every hop is grown uh, organically uh, so it's difficult with this, but also you have to substitute sometimes from uh, a 
couldn't buy Cascade from uh, uh, at one point. I couldn't find it from Yakima Chief, which was my uh, um, original source. So I had to buy Cascade from Germany, from another company. Uh, it's still Cascade, but it's grown in Germany, and it, that's different, of course. So yeah, totally agree. Uh, turning this to one of my last questions, uh, keeping the the hygiene in in restaurants and in breweries. Uh, now I'm talking basically all over the world or in the industry as beer bartenders or, yeah, or yeah. beer bars and and stuff like that. How do you do? You have any idea of how we can move forward in in educating people in in educating staff that that is it is important because i feel there are some bars that take it seriously seriously a lot of brewers are taking it seriously at least in sweden but there's still so many bars that don't care no exactly and, and they don't understand that this is an infection this is a bacteria that's in your beer and i am a firm believer that it's not good for your stomach <laughs> like it's not good <laughs> no, to drink no. this bacteria because uh, it messes up your stomach the day after like it re- i've had it's only hap- hypothesis, hypothesis. Fuck, say that. You know what I mean. Hypothesis uh, that some people have told me that days they drink at where I work, you know, they're not as bad in the stomach day as the day after they drink at a place that has really infectious uh, taps. And they know that because I've told them, like, you know, this smell is not okay. This this smell is not good. It no. messes up your beer. It's a bacteria. Uh, and and I, I try to talk about it a lot. And but I feel like th- there's this kind of nonchalance. Like they don't, they don't care. Like it's it's ah, you know, it's supposed to taste like that. You know, who, who has the no. time? Who has the? How, how do we turn that around? <sighs> yeah, I think uh, not that I'm not that I mean that uh, working in a bar is uh, is uh, a bad uh, job. But I mean you, it's easier for young people to get a job in a bar, McDonald's, whatever, that's uh, that's an introduction to uh, to uh, work. Some people stay all their lives in, in this uh, environment. You but just uh, like me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you become serious when you, uh, when you get older and you have the know-how uh, after a few years. But if you have stuff that are like new and they... You need to to teach them from day one about everything and let them try. Maybe buy a kit with the off flavors and let them try the what can happen if you don't clean the taps and uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's a for, in, in my opinion, if if you call yourself a beer bar, <laughs> that that's yeah, one of the minimums you have to to follow is to exactly yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to to take care of your bottles, to take care of your tap lines, to to, to take care of the kegs, and actually to talk to breweries when when something isn't you know optimal. Like like we have this, thing, we don't have those uh, what do you call it in English regulation lines with, oh with yeah. the taps, so we have. The beers, if if something is overcarbonated, yeah. we'll notice it right away, and then we can't service because we feel like that is a, a step towards quality that yeah, yeah. it should be perfectly served. And then it's up to us, like you talked before, uh, talked about before. It's the how you store the beer, of course. 
us as a bar, we have to keep it cool. We have to keep it in a fridge room. We have to take care of the beer. So exactly, if yeah. you keep it, as you said, behind a, a behind a fridge, <laughs> no. and it get becomes warm, then of course it's gonna foam. Like the foam is gonna destroy it. Of course. So it's it's both ways. Like how how you communicate and and do all yeah, that. and I think as a brewer, it's an insult uh, to me if if the bar serves my beer badly, and it's uh, people are going to say, oh, it's a bad brewer. They they don't, they don't always accuse the bar or no. It's hey, it's, they it's think the fair. beer is shit from the beginning. The if you don't clean your tap lines, you can might you might as well go piss at a brewery. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's uh, an important thing. I think that's the next step in in the beer bar evolution, uh, because uh, we have so many good brewers in the world now. A lot of good brewers. The interest is at an all time high. The bars have to start serving it correctly as well and taking care of it, because uh, I mean I really don't care when it comes to the macro stuff because they own their own bars and and you know with the <laughs> with the loans and everything, especially in Sweden. But when it comes to the, the the places that has at least an interest to having a beer bar, yeah. it, it's very important that they start to to move to that direction, and we all do, and keeping it consistent, not not once in a while or or something like that. And I think that's uh, all down to education. It's all yeah. down to to the interest and knowledge. And also, as a customer, you have to be. Uh, not cus- all customers are aware, of course. I mean, it's different if you have a brewer come into a bar and order a beer and it's sour. Of course, the brewer is going to tell them. It actually happened here. I told you before we started this interview. It actually happened to me in this very bar. Uh, that the, I was the first customer, I think, or one of the first, because it was an early Chelsea game uh, at uh, 1 o'clock Saturday. And the beer was uh, sour, uh, just a plain lager, but they hadn't cleaned the, the tap from the night before. Or, and it goes very quickly. It, it turns bad quickly. So, And I told them this. And uh, at first they went, oh, there's nothing wrong with the beer. And then I said, okay, but smell this and uh, taste it. And then they tried it and, okay, yeah, they agreed. And, uh, and they said, yeah, yeah, okay, sorry, it's, it's uh, sour. We need to clean the taps. It's a different kind of system, I think. Yeah, it's uh, it, uh, 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 we have those systems that uh, installed at Akrat where the beer is cooled all the way till the till the tap. It's cooled all the way. So if you don't have that type of system where you, you might you get the cold beer from the keg, that means the entire line is laying the entire night with warm beer. Then you have to pour that beer out if it's uh, how many how many beers it is. So we have this. We know how long our tap lines are. So for 30 centiliters beer, we have five left. That's five beers contained in the tap line. If you have 40 centiliters, that's four, maybe five, depending on what type of beer it is. And then we have pints. It's most cases three. So you know how many beers fits in your tap lines before you come from the keg. So if you don't have the cooling system, you have to pour that out (laughs) the day after because... Yeah, that becomes stuffed beer. Yeah, <laughs> or you cook food with it. You d- yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. You cook oh, food with it. I was joking, of course. You, you yeah, yeah, of drink course. sour beer. But that, that's but oh, sour you can drink, but yeah. not. That's another thing. People talk about waste. Like, oh, you're wasting when you're cleaning. You're wasting. No, you cook with it. Like, you cook food with it. Like, if you have some onion on the menu, boil your onions in the beer. It's going to taste fantastic. So you, you can still use the, the beer or make bread from it. So you can still use it as a product in your restaurant. Whilst having clean beer 
served. It's, I think it's just a matter of seriousness, like a matter of oh, yeah. taking care of the place and, and doing. Yeah, stuff and like, like you that. said, especially if you are a beer bar, you're uh, you're uh, that's your main income to serve good beer. Uh, it should be perfect. Cook food Top with the notch. beer as well. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Everything. Yeah. Well, this was a fantastic adding addition to the, to the the episode. I think. Yeah, yeah, good, yeah, good, good. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, nice. And also, I already asked you the the the, the you're gonna die beer question or do you have any other beer you want to drink before you die I think it hasn't been invented yet it's uh, I, I remember uh, well, I think it, that was the last time I was at the Hembrygar uh, SM um, in Linköping and I was walking around trying so many new beers with Cantarell and uh, I don't know whatever it's uh, it's many people are innovative and uh, they make new beers all the time and uh, I think uh, I don't know what's in the pipeline for from other breweries or, or for me either so we'll see <laughs> something that doesn't exist yet yeah right. I, I think so yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Robert. It was yeah, thank you. Pleasure. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. And uh, yeah, <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. CC will be with us the next one. Don't forget to check out our Patreon, social medias, and whatever you do, drink better beer. <laughs>